0: Welcome to week one of a new series we're starting today through the book of Galatians. And honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a book that changed my life. It's funny how you can know something or know about something for so long, but not know what it's really all about. And uh, I grew up, I was a church kid, so I've known about church and about the Bible since I was a little kid, but it's amazing how there's a big difference between knowing the book and meeting the author of the book. And so I really want hopefully through this to meet the author through this series. And this book changed my life, and so much of the Word of God has changed my life. But But this simple study through the book of Galatians really changed my perspective and my approach to God, and I can't wait to share it with you. The book of Galatians is one of, we call it a book, but it's really a letter from the apostle Paul. It's a letter that he wrote to a church. The apostle Paul was uh, someone who literally traveled and planted churches. He was called an apostle uh, because that's what he did. He would travel to a new location, a new group of people, and he would plant a church, and he would leave a pastor there which would kind of stay and work with the people but he would go from place to place he would go from from region to region from church to church and he would just really share the message and the gospel of Jesus and then after he would leave he would he would share the story back he would like talk to the people that were back in those locations or talk to significant people like he would write to pastors like a young pastor named Timothy he wrote two letters to Timothy and now it's in our bible today so What we're going to look at today is the book of Galatians, which was written to a church in a region called Galatia. So we're going to look at what they struggled with. We're going to look at what they dealt with. And here's the amazing thing to me about uh, the Bible in general, but specifically this book. is the same thing that the church was dealing with then. Is the same thing the church is dealing with today. Thousands of years and still the same thing. So we're going to get into what... Paul was dealing with and why he was writing the book of Galatians. I want to start just with the very beginning of the book. This is not in your notes, but it is on the screen. And it's just Paul's introductory words to the Galatian church. Here's what he says. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. He says, I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All of our brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That was what his hope was, that they would be filled with grace and that they would be filled with peace. But they didn't have peace. And they didn't have an understanding of grace. And that's what their issue was all about. So if you have your notes, look at with me, the look look at with me the first passage there. Galatians chapter one, verses six. We're gonna look at why Paul was 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 upset. And Paul is upset. I mean, like this is a This is a letter where he's ticked off. Like he's ready to he's ready to deal with some people, and we're gonna look over the next few weeks like he's mad. He is angry, and we're gonna look at what it is that he's angry about. Here we go. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If you're taking notes today, why don't you underline that? A different gospel. In other words, there were, there were a group of people trying to share a different gospel with the people. And he, he goes on to say, he says, it's really no gospel at all. Evidently, he said, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He said there are two gospels. One is the true gospel and one of them is a false gospel. They act like it's the gospel, but it's not a gospel at all. So what was happening? Let me, tell you, let me share with you some backstory about what was happening in Galatians, in, in the region of, of Galatia. Here's, here's what was happening. After Paul left, after planning those churches, Paul left and he went on to go about his ministry. And after he left, there were a group of Jewish people that came in because the church was primarily a group of Gentiles, which means they weren't Jews. And this group of Jews came in, and even though Paul preached a message of grace, Paul preached that you are saved by grace through faith, not of your works, so nobody can brag about it. He said, You're saved by what Jesus has done, not by what you do. And then this group of Jews come in and say, Oh, Gentiles, so awesome that you are now a Christian. Kind of want to break something to you though. There's a little bit more that you haven't done yet. Like you, it's great that you're all yeah, 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 yeah. You're Christians, but but Jesus isn't really enough. There's some more stuff that you need to do. It's great that you put your trust in Jesus, and yeah, but you know what? Wouldn't you want to err on the side of right? Wouldn't you want to err on the side of doing more than you have to? Well, let's share, let me share. There's some rules, Galatian Christians, that you need to do. You see, we're Jews, right? So so we have these kind of rules that we do. We we, we have the Bible, you know, the Old Testament, and and those rules still apply to you today. So it's great and all that you put your trust in Jesus, but you you need to have Jesus plus our rules. You need to have Jesus plus our religion. And rule number one in our religion is this. You must be circumcised. If you don't know what that means, do not Google it in church this morning. (laughs) Like, there's not something you want to Google. (laughs) Like, just, just ask somebody after church what that means if you don't know what that is. But let me just say... That new members class was very small if circumcision was something that they started requiring along the way. You see, Jews were circumcised when they were eight days old, which, you know, you can do whatever you want to me whenever I'm eight days old. I don't remember being eight days old, but they're looking at grown men and saying, hey, guys, it's time to have a surgery. Do you really love Jesus or not? (laughs) Like, how much do you love him? Imagine what that new members class looked looked like, you know, probably a lot of women in that class. All the brothers be like, honey, I love you, but I don't love you that much. You're going to have to go to that church all by yourself. I'll go to church online or something like that. I'm not going to that church. (laughs) Like, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hey, here's the food for next steps on the right. Here's our surgery center right over here. (laughs) The knives are clean and hot. So (laughs) how much do you love him? You see, this is a big deal in the church in Paul's day. Is Jesus really enough? Or does it take religion too? Is Jesus really enough or does it take these other things too? In the book of Acts chapter 16, there was this huge like conference that took place between all of the Christian leaders of the day and they were trying to make up their mind. Do we need to follow Jesus? Is, is the grace of Jesus enough for Gentiles or, or do you, we need to add in all of these rules? And, and it just came back... Um, it came back unanimous. No, Jesus is enough. So here's the question I want to ask. And I believe Paul throughout the book of Galatians is asking this one question. Here's the key question today. How am I going to become godly? How am I going to become godly? Like what's my path to God? How do we become godly? How do we come, become approved by God? There's, every religion has a path for what it means to be godly. Every religion has a path on what it means to follow God and to become godly. And what these Jewish Christians came in telling these new believers, I believe, was a religious system that was not much different than any other religion of the world. Like if you were to just take any religion off the shelf of society... What they, the kind of Christianity that they were trying to sell to these believers, were no different than just the average religion that you would pull off the shelf of the world today. But what Paul was trying to preach, what Paul had taught them, was something that was like no other religion. It was something that was like no other thing that had ever been done before because it had nothing to do about what you do for God. It has everything to do with what God did for you. It has nothing to do with you repaying God for what he did or you being good enough to get God to love you or to like you. And it had everything to do with a God who loved you in your sin, who loved you in your shame, who loved you in your greatest mistake and cared for you anyway. had everything to do with it. And he was saying, what is the approach going to be to God? Are you going to, how are you going to go? How are you going to find your way? And, And Paul begins to give two options. And the amazing thing to me, bless you, the amazing thing to me about these two options is it is one, it's a story that happened in the very beginning. That even though it happened in the book of Galatians, it's something that was happening in the very, very first story of the Bible. And we're going to get into look at Galatians over the next few weeks. But I want, a day, I want today to take you back and to show you that the greatest temptation may not be what you think it is. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, or it's there in your notes. And we're going to look at the first story of humanity in the Bible and a choice that they had to make about what it meant to become godly. It says, Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But in the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Much like these two trees before you today. There were the tree of life, the Bible says, but then there was a second tree, then it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a kid, I always imagined in my mind that this was the tree of good, and then this was the tree of evil. Ever thought that before? Like, this is the bad. This is the tree of evil. You know, this is the tree of darkness. This is the tree of bad. This is the bad tree, and this is the tree of good. But it doesn't say that. It says it's the tree of life. And then this tree is the tree of the knowledge Of good things and bad things. Knowledge. We're gonna talk about it's a little bit deep today, a little bit heady, but I wanna hopefully communicate in a way that we can all understand it and take it home with us. Reading on Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you shall surely die. What are you talking about, God? What do you mean? This is a tree of good. Like there's good and evil. It's not just all evil. It's this knowledge. But there's something about this approach to God. When we live our lives... Taking this approach to God, it only leads to death. And then when we live our lives taking this approach to God, it leads to life. So this is Satan's temptation. It is the temptation between this tree of life and this other tree that's in the garden. And let's read it in Genesis chapter 3. This is the choice that they had to make in the very first story in the Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, there he's questioning God, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not eat touch it. Time out. He, she said it's in the middle. The Bible says both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge were in the middle. Isn't it funny how the thing that we want, our temptation many times is the only thing that we see in the middle of our lives. And he said you must not touch it. And God never said you must not touch it. But she, we got a way as people of adding things to what God said. And it never leads to a good place when we try to add stuff to what God's word says. And He says, You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Both of them, their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. So they had a brand new perspective. Watch what happens next. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They felt shame. They were ashamed of their bodies and the choices that they had made. And they start sewing together these fig leaves because of their shame, because they, choose, they chose to eat out of the wrong tree. Here's the thing I want to say today. Whenever Satan wanted to tempt Eve, he didn't tempt her with something that was seemingly evil. Didn't tempt her with, you know, the black tar heroin and, you know, murder and evil. He tempted her with her desire to be godly. He tempted her and appealed to her own desire to be godly, to be like God. And he essentially said, hey, why don't you just take this approach of the knowledge of good and evil and Become like God from your own ability and your own strength instead of just taking from and receiving the tree of life. He appealed to her desire to be godly. Could it be that Satan's greatest temptation in our life is not some grand evil thing that we imagine in our mind, but could it be for our greatest temptation would just be for us to, in our own wisdom, approach God all all by ourselves and be religious? I about called this sermon Death by Religion, but my wife told me not to, so I didn't. (laughs) It's like it's kind of heavy, but it's real. Could it be that the greatest temptation is a temptation to have a religion instead of a relationship with God? Could it be the greatest temptation is to just have a head knowledge without any heart, love, and, 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 and affection for God? Could it be that that's the greatest temptation that we could ever have? Because in these two trees, Paul is trying to appeal to the Galatian church and say, hey, guys, you started in the grace of God. You started in the tree of life. You didn't deserve to be saved, but he saved you anyway. You didn't deserve to know him, but you knew him anyway. But somehow, someone has perverted your understanding, and now you're living your life trying to do all of these things to try to please God. And you're trying to add all of these rules and rituals to what it means to be a believer. And you've missed the point because. You're eating out of the wrong tree. So let's see what's in this. Let's see what's in this tree. Let's see what's in this tree. Let's see what's in the tree. Here's here's uh, here's here's something that's in the tree. One tree, the knowledge of good and evil focuses on what you do. When you live your life in this tree, you're living your life focusing on what you do for God, focusing all the things that you do for Him, how much you pray. Oh, I prayed this many hours. I'm so spiritual. Look at my Facebook post about how spiritual I am. You know, look at how amazing I am. Look at the Bible that I read and how amazing it is. And you don't read the right translation of the Bible like I read the translation of the Bible and the right plan. And I'm amazing. Look at all the things that I do for God. You don't dress right. You know, you don't look right. Oh, oh, look at me. Look at how awesome I I am. You know, it's, it's something I like to call the checklist Christianity. Where you can live your life in relationship with God based on a checklist and say, look at all that I did, check, look at all that I did here, check, check and then you take the checklist and then you put it on other people and say, ooh, no circumcision for you. I was eight days old whenever it happened. It's time for you to get busy. Come on. Uh, What about this checklist? Check, check, check. Looks like you got some work to do because your relationship with God, when it's based out of this tree, it's based all about what you can do for God, how awesome you are for God. I have a question for you this morning. If you were standing before God right now and he said, why do you deserve to go to heaven? What would you say? Would you say, I deserve to go because I was this and I was baptized whenever I was this old and I came down to the altar and I did this and I lived right and I've quit doing this and I've quit doing that and I used to go there and I don't go here anymore. And you are all about what you have done. Or would you stand before God and say, you know what, I don't deserve to go to heaven. And you know, it's only by your grace. It's only by your mercy. It's only by what you've done, not by what I could ever do. On my best day, the Bible says, our righteousness is filthy rags before God. So our best attempts at being good is never like being God. Because out of the tree of life, there's a little bit different focus. The tree of life focuses not on what you do, but has focuses all on what Jesus has done. The tree of life focuses on what He did and how great He is. Not how, measure, how, how we measure up, well, I'm a little bit better person than, than my neighbor is. And I'm a little bit better than them. And I'm a pretty good person. And you got to understand the tree of life has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. How good he is. How awesome he is. God's not interested in just changing your behaviors. He's interested in you falling in love with who he is. And having a relationship with him. And changing him forever. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. Yesterday, we were at the park with um, our boys, and uh, my oldest one said, Hey, Dad, I want to get on the monkey bars. I was like, Okay, you know, they're way too short to get on the monkey bars. So I lift him up, right? And, you know, I lift him up, and, you know, he's going, you know, he's going from monkey bar to monkey bar and gets done. Look at it. You know, he was so excited and went back. And then my two year old, Dad, I want to go on the monkey bars. So I lift him way up, and he could barely even you know, touch the, touch the monkey bars at all. You know, he was just looking like, and then he, I set him down, and he's like, Dad, look what I did. I did the monkey bars. And I felt like the Lord said, you know what, that's about how it's like whenever you brag about all the things that you've done for me. Because everything that we can do is because he's holding us up the whole time. Everything that we're able to do, it's because of what God has done. This is not in your notes, but John chapter 5, verse 39 says, You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. In other words, you think just because you come to church and because you read your Bible, because you have all these religious things that you do or that you believe and all this knowledge that you have of good and evil, you think that by all of that, that that's what it's all about. And he says, No, 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 no. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. It says, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. In other words, you missed the whole point. It's not about what you do, but it's everything about what I've done for you. Are you living your life, Galatians, based on, oh, look at all the lists that you've done. Are you living, saying, look at the majesty of what Jesus has done for me. Let's see what else is in the tree of life. What else is in this this tree? Here we go. And the tree of life, I mean the tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's one focuses on getting God's approval. Tree of knowledge of good and evil focuses on getting God's approval. In other words, like God's kind of mad at you. I, I recently saw a study where this says the average person in America today believes that God is angry at them. That God's upset at them, that, that God's mad at them. It's like you approach God and, okay, God, he's like, what do you want from me? Well, I just kind of like to, please, I'd like to go to heaven, God. You know, please go to, well, read the book of Galatians right now and pay your tithes and be a good person, you know, Moses, you know. Like God's "The Wizard of Oz" behind some you know faceless that's a scary movie, you know, to a kid, by the way. It's like it's like God's some you know huge faceless being up in the sky thundering down to you. You know, he's not really happy to see you, but he's just kind of there and you're living your life trying to get God to like you, to get God, oh please, you know, please, God, send me to heaven. Please, would you bless my family and please just help, just please help me? It's like, I'll do anything, God. You know, it's like God's, I grew up with this perspective. It's like God doesn't really love me, he just kind of loves me his rules and as long as I'm doing the rules then he'll like me and the moment I stop doing the rules, the moment I kind of fall off the wagon, if you will, it's like, man, I'm out of the love, I'm out of the grace of God, and it's just like, it's all over. I remember as a kid being so terrified that the rapture would take place at any given time, just just, just, just absolutely horrified. And I remember uh, taking a nap at my house, and my mom, she, she, I was always kind of home alone until my mom came home from work. My parents were divorced when I was very young, and I remember after school, I had, kind of had two or three hours, I was just kind of home as a teenager. and I'll never forget before mom getting home one afternoon uh, waking up and just being terrified that the rapture had taken place and I called my grandmother and I thought if if anybody's going to go the rapture my grandmother's going to go so I I called her and she didn't answer the phone and (laughs) and I lived across the road so like I just I just like I just woke up and I just ran across the road like trying to find my grandparents you know and I'm like Lord please I'm so sorry you know (laughs) But I just remember living my life terrified that I'd done one some little thing. And God was mad at me. The tree of life is a little bit different than that. The tree of life is not about trying to get God to like me. The tree of life is all about this, focusing on receiving God's love. It's not about trying to do something to get God to like me. Oh, you Galatians, you better be circumcised because you know what? You know, you're not really, I get nervous whenever people talk to new believers sometimes because I'm like, guys, don't mess up the grace of God that's happening in their life right now because God's not so much interested in cleaning you up. God's interested in getting your heart and letting his love wash over your life. I, I'll never forget, I was downtown on Gay Street not long after we moved here to plant this church and I'd met someone kind of became a friend and I felt like the Lord was giving me an opportunity just to be a friend and be a witness to him and he was smoking downtown and right in front of the general store and uh, and and I remember him talking we were talking about God and he said, well, "What does your God think about this?" You know, and, "What does your God think about this?" You know, and I said, "Man, I don't think God so much cares about this." And I hit him in the chest. He's a big old boy. I said, "God cares about this." He's not trying to just change your behaviors. He's trying to let you know he loves you. With an unfailing love. It's not something you have to. Clean up to get God to love you. I want you to know right now, maybe you're in guilt and shame and condemnation because of mistakes that you've made. I want you to know that if you could see God's face right now, He would be smiling ear to ear because He loves you and He cares about you. And there's not one mistake. On your worst day, He loves you as much as He does on your greatest day because you're His son and you're His daughter and there's nothing that you could do to change the love that He has for you. Guys, you are so valuable to God. You are so valuable to God. That's why Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to notice the order of that scripture. It doesn't say Christ died for us and then we got our lives right. But it said He died for us when we were sinners. He loved us when we were sinners. So your sin, your problems, your mistakes does not change the love of God. Your sin, your problems, your mistakes, He loves you right in the middle of it all. That's why 1 John 4.19 says, we love because He first loved us. In other words, God made the first move. God made the first move in your life. Maybe you're like, well, I'm at church, and I need to act like I got it all together, and I need to do all these things. I need to change your right, preacher. I need to change all these things about my life. Guys, understand this. Your God loves you right where you are. And could it be the reason that you are stuck in this rut is because you're in a rut of religion instead of understanding that there's this life-giving, life-changing tree and this relationship with God that will forever change you? It's, it's not something that you perform or it's not something that you're religiously better than everyone else, but it's just something that you receive by grace through faith and you walk in it. It really is amazing grace. It really is amazing grace. So let's see what else is in, in, this, in this tree over here. If I can find something else in the tree. I fell down. There we go. stuff's falling out the tree. Okay, here's the third thing in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This one focuses on external duty. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil focuses on external duty for God. In other words, I really want to sin, but I can't because I'm a Christian. I want to go party so bad. It sounds so much fun, but I can't because I got got the book. I got this Bible. I can't do it. It says you can't do this and you can't do that. So you know what? I can't do it. It's all about my duty. It's like I remember as a kid hearing uh, hearing preachers say, 55 years ago I surrendered to the ministry. Didn't want to. Wanted to be a successful man, but thought I'd be a pastor. (laughs) Just surrendered my life to him. Didn't want to do it. I don't want to do all these things, but can't do this, can't do that. But... It's not the tree of life. Here's the tree of life focuses on internal desire. In other words, I don't do this because I have to. Man, it's the joy of my life to do this. I don't serve God. I'm not a pastor because I had to, because I surrendered to something I never wanted to do. No, I fell in love with Jesus. Guys, I was addicted. I was so addicted to substances and approval of other people and friends and all these things. And Jesus changed me. I mean, changed my life. And the things that I used to not want to do, man, I, I wanted to do it. And the things I did, the things that before I wanted to do, I didn't want to do those things anymore. And it wasn't because anybody said, you don't do that. I, I heard that my whole life. You don't do this and you don't go here but where did I want to go I wanted to do that and I wanted to go there like don't do it I'm like okay sign me up. that's exactly what I want to do <laughs> but then I fell in love with Jesus that's why we don't preach behavior modification here at City Hills we preach the gospel we take you to Jesus Christ and if you'll fall in love with him guys there's no other motivation that you need I don't live my life saying, got to be faithful to Kara, got to be faithful to Kara. Okay, 11 years, you've done it, 11 years. Just one more day, you can do this. Be faithful, you <laughs> got one more day in you, okay, it's, you, just, you can do it. Okay, ready, let's go. We, we can make it through one more day. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Everywhere I go, be faithful, you know, written all over the place. Be faithful. No, 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 no. Never done that one day. Been married 11 years. And you know what? I don't, I'm not faithful because I have to be. I'm faithful because I'm in love. I don't look around. I'm not I'm not trying to look for something else why because I'm in love with that girl. Because she has my heart, and that's why the enemy, the thing he wants to put in between us, he wants to stop that love relationship because it's, it, it's never going to be by rules. We're never going to serve God through all the rules. I could stand up here and tell you all the rules till I'm blue in the face, but the rules are never going to change your life. But one look at the majesty and the grace of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. How could you not help but love him? How could you not help but give your whole life to him and have an experience with him? Because it's an internal desire. Not something that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. Got a good question? Are you a have to Christian or are you a get to Christian? See, this is a have to. But this tree right here is a man. I get to. I get to. We got first Wednesday. I get to go. Got a mission trip, man. I get to go on that. Serve. I get to serve. I get to give. I get. To, why? Because I'm in love. That's why First John five three says, "This is love for God." To obey his commands? You say, I told you, you gotta be, it's all about those commands. No, 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 watch this. It says, and his commands are not burdensome. He who has the son has life. He He who doesn't have the son does not have life. It's not burdensome. I'll say this, if you're not in love with God, this Bible will be one of the hardest things you ever try to live up to be one of the most difficult things you ever try to attempt being a Christian without first finding that relationship with Jesus Christ. But whenever you fall in love with Him, it changes everything. Here's some things I want to give you before we leave today about what it means to live out of the right tree, living out of the tree of life. Number one, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Not rules, not do all the things, not just oh, do right and spit white and better get right or you're gonna get left and you're gonna to go to hell. In Tennessee, that's a two syllable word. <laughs> Hail, you're gonna to go to hell. Do that, you're gonna to go to hell. <laughs> Fall in love with Jesus. Say, how do you do that? Just, just look at what he does and who he is. <laughs> There's nothing else needed. Last time I checked, there was nobody lined up to pay for my sins. Last time I checked, there was nobody lined up to give me hope, to give me peace, to walk with me. There's nobody lined up to be faithful to me when I'm unfaithful to him. There's no one lined up that has a heaven that invites me to come. And the thought that a God so high would reach a man so low, I can't help but love him. It's the only reasonable response that I could have, to fall in love with him. That's why John 14, 15 says, if you love me. You obey what I command. Growing up I always heard that, if you love me, you better obey what I command. I've even manipulated people with that verse before. You better do this because the Bible, if you love them, you better do this. You don't do it. When I started reading this book of Galatians, I realized it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus religion, Jesus plus look at these three or four things that I do or that I believe or that I do better than every other Christian or that I'm weird, kind of this special little thing. And you better be like us if you want to really be. When God started doing that work in my life, I realized there's a comma there. And I think it's the opposite. If you love me, you'll do what I'll ask In other words, the motivation's changed. You're not obeying God because you're terrified of Him, because He's angry at you. Man, but you want to serve God. So the question I have for you today is, which side of the comma are you living on? Which side of the comma are you living on? Is it a love for God that you have, or is it just, you're just terrified to do the wrong thing? Which tree are you in the middle of? Because God wants serving him to be a delight, not a duty. He just wanted someone to just do something. He has angels all around him. They cry, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come day and night. He, he has all of that, but he wants somebody that says, hey, good morning, Dad. I love you. Like, would you. I want to walk with you today. I want to have a relationship with you. Not a religion, but a relationship with you. Here's the second thing. Don't allow condemnation. Don't allow condemnation in your life. This is is exactly what happened whenever Adam and Eve made the choice to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says they immediately began to cover themselves because of condemnation and shame, guilt and shame. Guys, don't try to cover your own condemnation with your works and all the stuff you do. Take it to Jesus. Because that's why the book of Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. Here's how I know, here, here's, here's a litmus test for you to know if you're living in condemnation. How do you treat other people's sin? If you live your life condemning everyone else, and I can't believe her, and did you see what he did? I, I thought he was a believer, and I thought he did all. If you spend your whole life condemning everyone else around you, you're doing that because you yourselves are living under condemnation. And it makes you feel better whenever you find someone else that's doing the same thing like you. But if you live in the tree of life, not under condemnation, when you see people that are making mistakes, people that have issues in their life, you're not going to stand there and cast judgment and anger and and shame toward them. You're going to lift them up because you say, if not by the grace of God, I would be doing the same thing. If it wasn't by the grace of God, hey, let's help them. Let's share the gospel with them. Let's invite them to join us at City Hills. This is not a place for perfect people. This is just a place for people that have found the grace of God. And then are so in love with Jesus, we're just following after Him. And here's the third thing: make the choice every day. Make the choice every day. Deuteronomy 30 says, "This day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I choose life." Choose life. Maybe talking to somebody today that you have a religion. God says, no, 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 I'm not interested in you just having a religion. There's a lot of religions in the world. It's all based on what you do to get to God. What you know, what you believe, what you do, all the things you do or don't do. And that leads to bondage every time. But there's this other way that says, Jesus, I just receive what you've done for me. And I'm just overwhelmed by it. And I'm going to live my life to honor you.